Uh, hello and welcome to Two Peds in a Pod, the medical education podcast from the Children's Emergency Department uh, here in Derby. And I'm very pleased to be joined uh, this evening by Dr David Evans, who's the Vice President for Training and Assessment at the Royal College of Paediatrics and Child Health and a consultant neonatologist in Bristol. Good evening, David. How are you? I'm fine. Thanks very much, Ian. Good evening. Yeah. Excellent. Um, so thank you for joining us. We're going to talk about something that I know you're, you're very heavily involved in at the moment, which is the, the shape of paediatric training. Um, and I think when I sort of think of this, I think it is a fairly new thing. But of course, the shape of training document was is now nearly sort of about six years old now, isn't it? Yeah, I think, yes, it's probably about, yeah, six, I think it was October 2013. So yeah. So uh, reading through that and sort of looking at some of the material that was put out at the time, it seemed to be very sort of heavily adult-based to sort of say, look, that our, our population is changing and their needs are changing. Where does paediatrics fit in with the shape of training document? Um, well, I think you're right in, in that it, obviously that the majority of healthcare consumers are adults and it was perhaps written with that in mind. But I think a lot of the principles... Uh, they described at the time still apply and I think um, the shape of training document was uh, a response perhaps to concerns that there was an over specialization in medicine um, and that uh, clinicians were losing the ability to see the patient as a whole and, and patients were getting referred from one specialist to the other and that tends to lead to over investigation and over treatment and things um, and they wanted to try and bring uh, training to, into a more holistic um, and broader-based uh, scheme. And I think uh, David Greenway, when he first proposed uh, Shape of Training, was thinking of bringing uh, sort of classes or, or families of uh, specialties together and tr- trying to uh, train people within um, in a broad category such as women and children's health. Uh, and I think um, that was potentially a little too revolutionary and it, it got rather um, kicked into the long grass. I, I think you remember Terence Stevenson using that uh, phrase. And then I think uh, subsequent governments then started to pick it up again and think, OK, well, let's just see how we could um, you know, use some of the principles and maybe not go for a wholesale, complete revolution but we do need to change, and some of the the principles were still trying to address concerns which are very real. Because, of course, we did have for a sort of a short period of time the, these the BBTs, the broad based trainees, yeah. um, which seemed quite a good idea, and then kind of disappeared. Yes, uh, so BBT is still going, I think, in in Scotland and Wales, and I think Northern Ireland have still got the program, um, perhaps uh, you know, in a pilot stage. But I, I think it was um, very popular when they ran it in, in England. But I think one of the concerns was that they really wanted to train more GPs. And so they were worried it was sort of diverting the workforce away, away from GPs. Um, so unfortunately, the funding was pulled. But I think a lot of people do regret that because it, it did address some of those issues. Um, I guess some paediatricians would look at it and go, I, I get where you're coming from with adult medicine and, and trying to sort of have more generalists. But actually, in, in our college, in paediatrics, we, we remain, as many people sort of say, the last bastions of generalism within the hospital. So why does it affect paediatricians? 
Uh, well, I, I certainly agree with you. And I think when we had uh, many discussions with the government shaper training group, they looked at our subspecialties and they saw the sort of 16, 17 subspecialties of general paediatrics and, and couldn't understand why we were trying to claim that we were paediatricians at heart. Um, and I think it took a, a lot of convincing uh, for them to realise that um, we are paediatricians, uh, but the trouble is within the, within the college, you tend to think about the differences rather than the similarities. Mm. Um, I, I think that the shape of training um, uh, is an opportunity for us to, to do something with our training that we want to do for our patients and not necessarily fall into line with the government because I think, you know, if we can do uh, a constructed training pathway which is a lot more flexible and meets the needs of the trainees and the patients, then, you know, that, then that... Uh, Will stand on its own logic if it's, um, you know, if it's going to be effective. Yeah. Um, so looking then at, at obviously, there's been a lot of discussion within within the college as to how we as a college are going to move forward with our, our training. So, as a sort of rough outline, what what is the college's plan? Um, well, uh, I think uh, in a nutshell, it's a it's a two level training pathway, um, and the uh, first section has got a, an, an indicative or an average training time of four years and that we're going to call that core paediatrics and then the uh, last the, the latter um, section is called specialty paediatrics and that has an indicative training time of three years and I think the the specialty paediatrics um, will probably very, be very similar to our current level three paediatrics, which is you know, three years and it encompasses subspecialty training and training in general paediatrics. And uh, we're not particularly looking to change any of the subspecialties, so people will still come out with their CCT in paediatrics uh, with a bracket, you know, paediatric emergency medicine or neonatal intensive care, paediatric neurology, those sort of things. Um, I think the biggest change really is the fact that we're going to have core paediatrics as four years. Mm. Um, and the first uh, the first major change really is that you will not need to have your mem- full membership examination until um, the end of those four years. And the membership will be the gateway between the core paediatrics and the specialty paediatrics. Um, the other new thing is that during your last year of core training, so that's ST4, you will essentially be on the middle grade rotor. Yeah. Um, and so you'll be on the middle grade rotor before you necessarily need to have your full membership. Um, and then the other three years, the ST1, 2 and 3, um, during ST2 and during ST3, there'll be more of a graduated transition to middle grade working. So you can imagine that during ST2, perhaps you'll act as a registrar during the daytime and there's lots of supervision. Um, and as you go through ST3, you perhaps do it more frequently, but also start to include the evenings and the nights. And so by the time you get to ST4, it won't be a sudden surprise you're on the middle grade. And I think that was in response to um, looking at many trainees who, you know, understandably were very focused on getting their membership examination. They often got it during ST3, and then suddenly at ST4, they're on the middle grade rotor. Um, and almost their preparation had been 
directed towards membership and not really directed towards management of uncertainty, leadership and, and liberal grade responsibilities. So we just want to turn that focus around a little bit and, and get them to think about moving up to middle grade um, from an earlier stage, but as a more graduated, supported way. Yeah, and, and sort of looking at that progression, um, I, I know you sort of said that's an indicative time. Um, yeah. As you said, progression is based on, on capability rather yeah. than time. Yeah. Um, so that means that people could potentially progress very, very quickly, couldn't they? Yes, um, and particularly if they've had uh, other experience, um, you know, sort of a, a f- a three years and, the, and those sort of things. Um, and I think also uh, it should fit uh, better with the academic, uh, you know, the integrated academic training pathway as well, um, because that it would allow them to progress a little quicker and their timing um, from doing core training, getting their PhD applications, doing UPAR PhD, and coming back into specialty training, I think would, would fit better. Sometimes I see some of the academic trainees get a bit stuck because they've done their level one training, they've done their PhD, and they, they then come back into level two training before they can start doing their self-specialty. So it doesn't necessarily suit them that well. Yeah, absolutely. And I certainly know several trainees locally who sort of have been in training for what seems like years and years and years. And that must be fairly demoralising for them, to be honest. Yes. Um, and the length of training is a very interesting question. So, you know, I think we've, we've been challenged to um, reduce the length of training because it is a, it is a long training um, pathway. Now, we don't want to just reduce it for the sake of it. I mean, um, and I think a lot of people think that the training is uh, good. And obviously, to be a consultant paediatrician, you need to be pretty capable. Um, and we often argue as paediatricians that a lot of our trainees start from um, a less of an experiential base because a lot of the medical school paediatrics um there's a reduced uh, placements in terms of time for paediatrics and and a lot of what medical school is about tends to be more surrounding adults. Um, But nevertheless, it depends who you speak to. So if you speak to um, people thinking about applying for paediatrics, they say, gosh, well, you know, ST up to ST8, that's a long training. It it is rather, um, it looks rather a challenge and potentially does put them off. If you speak to a lot of trainees in paediatrics, um, you know they they often say, "Well, I'm not I'm, I'm not that keen necessarily to finish my training. I actually value the training, and I think they're thinking about you know applying for consultant jobs, and so they're they're really interested, uh, really keen to get as much experience and build up their CVs to be very competitive and, and get a good job. Um, and so it is a bit of a paradox, really. And I think what we want to try and do is is reduce the amount of mandatory training you need in in time um, and have an indicative time of of seven years so the four years plus the three try and make the uh, training uh, more flexible in terms of you know you can progress quicker depending on your capabilities also improve the options for out of program to to introduce a bit of flexibility there for people who do want to spend a bit longer you know, exploring some options. Um, and I think that, that way we're trying to, you know, square that circle of um, offering a training scheme which is not necessarily that quick, but also allowing people to, to actually experience the, the paediatrics they want to. 
Yeah. And of course, the, the other issue we've got to sort of think about and resolve, of course, is if we're giving people increasing flexibility to explore other things, you've still got to maintain a, a workforce and we've still yeah. got to be compliant with the sort of new junior doctors rotor. And I think that's going to be hugely challenging, isn't it? Yes, uh, and uh, we had a recent stakeholder day um, just uh, last week with uh, heads of schools and training program directors, and we were debating this point. And as you may know, Health Education England are, are currently piloting uh, an outer program, a different category called outer program for pause, which allows people to step out of training but still do sort of NHS uh, jobs and. Um, and Scotland, Northern Ireland and Wales are looking at a, a similar sorts of options. And we were trying to say, well, you know, wh what what is the risk? Because uh, it's a balanced argument. If if we offer more opportunities to go out a programme in this way, then potentially more of the workforce will leave, you know, um, temporarily when during the time in which they take out a programme. However, the, the sort of counter argument to that is, is often they will be in the paediatric workforce because they will be doing non-training jobs. Uh, many of them would perhaps like to do some of the jobs that are advertised by trust, so the sort of clinical fellow jobs that have perhaps a, some simulation within their job plan or quality improvement fellows or some, some research, those sort of things. So they're often uh, contributing to the acute rotors the other thing is, is, of course, many trainees find um, the training burden quite heavy. Um, and they're, you know, our trainees are really uh, assessed an awful lot. You know, you have to keep up to date with their portfolios, with their workplace assess assessments, all those sort of things. And I think some of them just find it difficult to carry on. And having the ability just to step out of training for a pause and just release that training burden can really help. And I think I've, I know quite a few trainees who've, who've done that and have really actually found their renewed enthusiasm for paediatrics again. And then subsequently they've come back in. Which can only so, be good. You know, these, these people might potentially leave paediatrics if they don't have that flexibility. And by maintaining that flexibility, we actually keep them within the workplace on in the long term. So it, it is a risk, and I think it's perhaps a risk that we see is worth taking. And many schools have become much more liberal with that program experience because they recognise that that's the issue. And the way to try and keep the trainees within the program, within paediatrics, is to be much more liberal with that program. Do you think there's an argument that says, actually, this has come at quite a good time for paediatrics because... Uh, paediatrics is going through a bit of a you know a, a relative dip in popularity of people coming into the speciality training and actually having time to now sort of shake things up a little bit it, it falls quite nicely for us as a college uh yes i i i'm sort of smiling so i think well not wanting to precipitate a crisis but i mean a crisis is always a good time to try and get something done and i think um the gmc uh, and Health Education England, the equivalent bodies in uh, Wales, Northern Ireland, Scotland, you know, they, they will ultimately be approving the programme. And I think um, if we can present it as a way of uh, improving uh, the flexibility within the workforce, uh, making the training scheme a bit more adaptable to, to both patient needs and uh, individual needs, you know, with 
this sort of more individualized progression, uh, then I think it is a very good opportunity. And, you know, that there are a lot of initiatives within Health Education England, the GMC, which are to try and improve flexibility. And I think it's a pity that those have, it's taken a junior doctor's dispute to actually produce um, these initiatives. Because I think our training scheme became very inflexible. Um, and I think that's my biggest um, desire for the new shape of training pathway is it to be less restrictive and more flexible. And our current training is restrictive because it has three levels. And wherever you have a, a, a junction between one level and the other, there are sort of restrictions about what placements you have to do to satisfy level one training, level two training, level three training. And I want to try and break those down a little bit so it, it gives programme directors and trainees much more freedom to um, you know, undertake placements according to their needs and the population needs, which will change around the different regions of the country. Mm. Of the main, you know, what paediatricians need to be taught is already defined, and that's defined in the progress curriculum. So the shape of training, uh, in a sense, is the second half of the development and the first half was with the, the progress curriculum um, and then the shape of training is more uh, to do with how do schools actually deliver the progress curriculum how do trainees you know learn the key capabilities um so i'm i never went through mmc <laughs> so I'm an old sort of fashioned cowman trainee in some ways this is is this a sort of slight return to that uh yes i i, I you know uh, i'm not pretending it's, it's not and i think um yeah we do need to think about what what was lost uh when when we moved from calm training to to mmc and try and you know look at what was good about mnc what was good about calm training and try and you know achieve something that's that satisfies um, trainees and patients today yeah so then, subject to sort of approval, when are we potentially planning to roll this out then? Um, so we'd be looking to um, submit uh, the proposals to the GMC uh, to 2020. And I think the earliest that it would come in would be sort of August, September, change over time, 2021. Well, that's just, uh, just under two years now. Right. And the question that sort of came in via Twitter uh, was sort of saying, when will we notice the changes? And what do you perceive will be the first changes that trainees will notice on the ground? Um, well, I've often said, and I'll say it again, that in a sense, um, I think the doc paediatric doctors will be working in the same posts on day one of shape of training that they were, you know, the day before shape of training. Um, so the, the shape of training pathway doesn't necessarily mean that uh, schools have to change everything instantly, but it allows them some flexibility to start to evolve. And I think what, what we will see is um, schools will, will start to look more critically at how the curriculum is delivered and what are the best and most efficient ways of delivering that curriculum. And that might differ depending on where you are uh, in, in the country and how your service is set up. Um, part of the curriculum and part of the, the new aspects of core training will be um, trying to get more capabilities in, in sort of integrated primary and secondary care paediatrics. 
um, also trying to equip uh, our paediatricians to deal with some of the issues caused by um, you know the increased prevalence of child mental health issues, which, yeah. which impact on, on the uh, acute service as well. Um, so I think it will give schools more food for thought about how they construct the pathways. Um, I think the, the people who are least likely to notice the difference who are, are those who are in the subspecialty or the level three general paediatric training because those three years almost look identical. Mm. The, the question will be is, is what happens in transition, which I think is one of the other questions that came up yeah. in Twitter. You know, how do we move people from, from one pathway to the other or, or do we allow people to carry on on the old pathway whilst we start the new pathway? Um, and I think we'd be a bit reluctant to allow people to carry on on the old pathway, um, rather like we were we were reluctant to let them carry on on the old curriculum for forever, uh, because otherwise you remember with Kalman training you, you get some Kalman trainees and this, you've still got some old senior registrars you know many many years down the line, and I think we want to try and make sure that the curriculum and the pathway is contemporary. So there will need to be some transition planning, and we we have got various work streams within our shape training group, and, and transition is one of those one of the four work streams. So it's you know it's right up there in terms of importance. And I think it's it's looking at you know the ST threes and the ST fours who who potentially will be going into level well their their specialty training um, yeah. a year earlier than they thought. Um, and it's about giving them some choice. So I think there will be some flexibility to try and smooth the, the, the transition between the two because we don't want to, you know, we can't suddenly have um, two years' worth of cohorts applying to go into specialty training all in one go. Now, we know that the workforce is smoothed by various factors such as out-of-program experience, less than full-time working, you know, uh, parental leave and those sort of things but I think we we will also need to introduce some flexibility and allow people some choice um, so you know if they were expecting to go into a subspecialty at a certain time then we can't suddenly turn around and say no you've got to do it one year early before they feel yeah. they're ready and I guess maybe some consultants might be looking at this and going well that's great for trainees there's greater flexibility there's greater opportunities to do other things but it's going to be the consultants that end up doing the work uh, is that something that's a concern um well <laughs> i think it's a concern because i think most consultants are, are doing more work uh, that they perhaps previously considered uh, work for trainees but i think that's not a. It's not just a training issue. That's. That, I think that's just a, an issue with how the, the work. Um, the work is the nature of the work has changed within paediatrics. Um, we we can't really build a service around trainees. The service has to be built around trained paediatricians, and that, and that's both um, consultants and um, other trained paediatricians such as staff grades, um, and also getting. Um, other professions into the workforce, such as say, physicians associates and uh, advanced nurse practitioners. Yeah. Um, and I, th I think the the consultants um, there will be potentially more consultants because if we train paediatricians for less time, then there'll be uh, there'll be potentially a, 
perhaps a, a minor glut of CCT holders coming out. So there will be a, a workforce, um, consultant workforce expansion. Yeah. So it's a time of, of potentially really quite significant change for, for the college and for our workforce. Um, how positive and how optimistic do you feel at the moment about things? Um, well, I'm by nature an optimist. Um, I think that, you know, the shape of training is not going to solve the workforce issue. You know, it's about training paediatricians. Uh, the way you, you solve the workforce issue is think about what who needs to look after children and, um, you know, do we need more of that of those particular people? And I think we, we do need more con uh, consultant paediatricians. Uh, the college have been calling for that for, for many years now. Um, I don't think it's necessarily heard or perhaps um, some, some of the people are, perhaps don't tend to want to listen. Um, the problem, of course, is, is that, okay, we need more consultant paediatricians, but where do these people come from? Uh, even if we advertise for more paediatric training placements, um, we d there's no guarantee we'd fill them because it's a competitive system and, and all the specialties, and, and particularly primary care, were expanding. So where do we get the doctors from? Do they come from overseas? Do we try and expand the, the medical training initiative for overseas doctors? What what happens with you know EU doctors post Brexit? Uh, what about nursing staff, um, nurse and nurse practitioners, and also physicians associates? So I think there's a there's big uncertainty there, and I think that if you think about the effect of the shape of training, it's probably only going to have a sort of you know twenty percent effect on the overall. You know, problem if you like. So, whilst I think it will help because it will be less restrictive, I don't think for a second it will cure the problem. And, you know, th there are other issues that need to be addressed. Absolutely. Um, so, to just finally conclude, then, David, for for people listening to this, trainees or consultants or, or, or whoever, where should we sort of keep watching and what should we watch out for next for for further information? Um, well, the uh, college website, of course, sort of hosts uh, the pathway and for those people who like looking at diagrams and we, we have the pathway there and we have some of the explanations. I think um, what it means on the ground, I think that will become perhaps over the next year increasingly coming from the schools because I think, you know, we've been engaging with them to start to think about how the um, placements, you know, where, where doctors will work and, and uh, what, what sort of um, uh, programs are going to be on offer for that particular region. Uh, and I think the other thing would be to look out for is, that, is that for the college websites is for the transition planning. Um, and uh, if people are thinking about undertaking some subspecialties and perhaps if they are currently a sort of ST2 training, uh, that sort of cohort, they're the ones that um, would, would probably have some choice about when they go into subspecialty training, but it's um, it's a good time to start to explore the options, and so you can make an informed choice. Um, and I think you know that is one of the challenges that we've set the the schools as well for shape. You know, if you if you've only got four years before you go into subspecialty training, then you've got one less year to make that decision. Um, so we would like to try and improve the information. Um, set up sort of systems whereby people can go to get information about subspecialties, um, but also have uh, more opportunities for out-of-program experience for people to explore those subspecialties. 
um, so they can make a, a better informed choice. Uh, the other thing we are doing is within the subspecialties, we're, we're looking to see if we can allow people to move from one subspecialty to the other if, if they feel they've not made the best choice, because many of the subspecialties do share a lot of the curricular content. So you could potentially move from one training system to another within the first 12 months, you know, subject to availability and, um, and the appropriate appointment process. So there's, there's lots of ideas, I think, that we've started to crystallise over the last 12 months. And I think now it is started to, to you know, put it onto paper and, um, you know, come up with protocols and transition planning um, and the schools will come up with their, their programmes. So watch this space, basically. Yeah, yeah. and, uh, you know, I've, I've spoke, I always love speaking to paediatricians about training and, um, you know, many of the arguments uh, I, um, I, I sympathise with and, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a big debate about what we do and I don't think this is going to be a magic bullet but I think it's going to um, the, the flexibility is going to be much valued I think yeah, I, I agree entirely David thank you so much for, for joining us this evening um, it's been fascinating to talk to you uh, as always thank you very much okay thanks Ian <laughs>